teams sit right on the baseline. The big fella from New Zealand. When we cut him off baseline, he started walking in there. Welcome on into the Baseline Podcast. We're back doing some more NBA team pods. Got all my 30 NBA team pods completed prior to the season. And now we're going to rip right in talking about um, the teams again and then how they're going as the season started. So joining me from Melbourne, I have my mate Jack Manuel um, from OTG Basketball, Nets Republic, and also has his own Brooklyn pod, Brooklyn Nets pod. Um, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate you jumping on and talking some nets with me. Thanks for having me on, brother. It's always I've always said whenever I get to chat to people in the southern hemisphere about basketball, it's just a, a weird and fun experience. <laughs> it, it is, man. And in Australia, I think I had um, yeah David Kevin from the Suns. Um, there's a, a dude that joined me with some Hornet stuff. Obviously, there's guys that do the local stuff like Michael Huber and that. But it's just cool to have um, yeah. Australians come on and giving that perspective when you are um, viewing the NBA from afar, but but obviously you're like deep in that Nets community, for example, um, when you're halfway around the world, which as I do with myself, it's, it's pretty great. It is. And, you know, the Blazers, the Nets, there's plenty of stuff going on with both of those teams to start the year. <laughs> you got, got it, man. It's been a funny old year. How how do you feel the Nets have started? Um, we won't dive too deep into records, um, but how do you feel the Nets have started overall? Look, it's it's hard doing a game-by-game podcast with my co-host in America to not get caught up in the overreacting because we're just so in it, so, so consistently. But being able to sort of like chat to you and chat to other people about the team overall, take a little step back, they're starting to form their identity. At least that's what I see on the court. Offensively, things are probably taking a little bit slower than I would have liked. And I think Nets fans are probably the coaching staff would have liked because they were just so dominant on that end of the floor last year. Obviously, Sands, Kyrie Irving, the best offense ever, uh, and, and so many other different pieces and, and, and talent there. But the defense has been a, a revelation. You know, I think one of the aggregating sites put out, you know, that Bruce Brown's one of like the top five, 10 defenders into when you know he's guarding guys on him like somewhere in like the 35 or 34 percent range um deandre bembry has been amazing and falling in love with that dude lamarcus aldridge your mate has been <laughs> solid defensively it's just like he's been as i was incredibly it's it's the same level of surprise that i had about blake griffin against the milwaukee bucks in a lot of ways it's just like man this guy's got a yards man lamarcus aldridge is like blocking Trey Young on drives. So I think that that end of the floor is, has been a real positive. But I think that there's still a, a few kinks here and there. But, you know, we're 10, 15 games, 12 games into the to start the season. You know, you don't necessarily want to be the best version of yourself at this point in time. You know, the Nets, I think, will probably change their roster a little bit. They'll be one of the buyout teams. Um, and, you know, the, the Kyrie Irving sort of, debate where that's going to land. But at this point in time, I think they're in a pretty decent spot. They might have gone down a few rungs, according to certain people, but you can't doubt when you've got Kevin Durant playing the way that he is. Uh, if you're downgrading the Nets, do it at your own peril. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good little breakdown there, man. So, so I'm just reading some of their stats on cleaning the glass, the sixth-ranked defense so far. Um, and as you say, that is, is pretty amazing. Obviously, you've got second-year coach there, um, Steve Nash. Is it? Scheme matter, scheme based, like like how they've been able to get 
more out of their defense. I know there's defensive pieces there, um, you know, guys that can play a bit of defense, but how have they managed to get all the way up to, to six on that end? Well, it's funny because I was uh, I was a bit upset about the loss of Ime Udoka as he was probably primarily the defensive coordinator on, on that end of the floor last year. The addition of Steve Clifford behind the scenes, he's sort of being, you know, sort of similar to Kyle Corbett, like an assistant coach of proxy. He's not there at all the games. He's sort of chipping in here and there. But I think the scheme has become a bit more flexible. And I think that the new officiating and the new rules of emphasis and such have benefited a lot of the Nets players and, and the physicality that, that Bruce Brown, John J. Bembry, they're not switching as much. You know, you've got LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake sometimes in drops. Blake just draws about a million charges a game because he can't be a rim protector. And this is all, I guess, without you know, Nicholas Claxton, who's played a few games here and there and started the season really poorly. But he's had his illness and he's hopefully coming back in the next you know week or two. And that is a guy who can truly transform the Nets in, in the defensive end of the floor. Like, he can switch onto guards, left, right, and center. You know, whether it's Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic, says highlights for days, you know, of, of his defensive potential. So that's another wrinkle that they do have. And that's where they do look their best. Obviously, you have James Harden. You generally have to switch at least a, a large amount and, and a majority of the time. But the way that they're playing on that end of the floor is... It is sort of just a, a, a hosh bosh, my gosh, whatever the thing is. I just a lot of different little things, and I think that the the communication and you know, Patty Mills is fighting around the perimeter. Their perimeter defense is probably the thing that's impressed me the most, uh, just from a fan's perspective. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really really good to hear. And I think there's always the great offensive teams. People will be like, you know, how would they be able to get a stop? But I think we've seen. Um, not sure what they're rating was defensively last year but we saw in the playoffs and now we're seeing this year on a a smaller sample that there are that they are able to defend as we're looking at the other side of the ball um uh, before i i jumped on this pod i was thinking about what we're going to chat about and thought james harden was a good one to chat on um it's been as it always is on nba twitter it's been um blown out of proportion i feel around his offensive struggles um obviously this year, you know, with the combination of the new balls, which I don't think makes a massive difference, but it's definitely some. And then the change in the offensive, um, the offensive fouls coming in, and then I think referees probably overcorrecting a little bit in terms of not getting calls. James Harden's down to four point seven free throw attempts a night, but when I look over to his three point attempts, he's still taking seven down a little bit but he's still shooting 39%. He's a little bit down on his on his two point percentage which obviously says he has having a little bit of a rough start. But in terms of in the market, how is he being perceived by say fans of the team um and then What's the media covering the team around the way he's playing? Look, there's, I think James Harden himself has had a level of frustration. Maybe not to the extent, it's a night by night proposition, it seems, with James, at least at this point in time. I I think what you point about with the two point percentage is the one thing that I'm looking at the most because his step back looks nice. He's actually taking catch and shoot threes and hitting them at a rate that probably we didn't necessarily expect. But the three point percentage is fine. The three pointer, the step back looks absolutely smooth as hell. It says you're going to continue to drive to the rim. 
because and I, I think he was hesitant early points in the year because he wasn't getting those calls and he just wasn't even trying to finish. He was just trying to get a call. When the game against Orlando, I saw some glimpses and there's been some glimpses and moments throughout the year where it's just like, cool, I'm not in my peak physical conditioning where I can burst past dudes, but I can use my strength to muscle past guys and finish the lap or get some free throws. You know, he threw his hands up in, in, in relief, you know, getting a call the other night from the refs. He's still getting officiated in a way where it's just like, okay, if this wasn't James Harden, would those calls be happening? And, and I might be a bit biased, but I think a lot of people are sort of seeing, you know, and I think it's the same with a lot of players, which is like, okay, we can reach in now and apparently rip guys' arms and such. But I think it's, for me, the, the thing that always watch with James is how is he attacking? How is he maintaining his aggressiveness at the rim? And I know Matt Brooks of the Clear Out podcast and, and I've necessarily talked a lot about his at-rim finishing hasn't been great. And I think that's him adjusting. But I'm also seeing him take a couple of mid-ranges here and there. And I saw the buzz with Nick that I'm like, this could help James Harden acclimate himself to be a possibly better, more complete player. Again, that's me, the the ever-optimist, you know, as, as we tend to be down here in Australia and in the Southern Hemisphere a little bit. But I'm hoping that that allows James to go, okay, look, He's an incredibly smart offensive player as well. He knows where he's going to get calls. He knows what how. And I think that the one thing that we rely so heavily on him is not just for him to be great, but how he elevates his teammates. And a lot of the time, and in the best games he's played this year, is when he's attacked and he's got to the line, you know, he's actually got those calls, and he's kicking out passes to, hopefully not Blake Griffin, but to Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, Paddy Mills, these sort of guys, and getting them open shots. It just opens up the floor for KD on drives too, and Joe Harris and all these other other fellas. Um, so I think that for me, it's about James Hard- James Harden's aggression and ability to continue to you know go at defenders and go, look, I might not be as quick as I am you know, in my peak Houston days, but I've got a wicked handle and I'm strong as hell. I've got to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really good. And, and he... And you know, 8.8 assists per game, you know, one of the top guys there, um, only playing 33.9 minutes a night. So, you know, really, really good assist rate there as well. So early sample, there's no doubt that one of the greatest offensive players to ever play the game um, will adjust. You know, he he brought that step back in at a time when other, other guys were, were hitting it and had hit it before, but Harden's done things that people haven't done before, and I'm sure... He'll bounce back. The next dude I want to chat on is Kevin Durant. Um, I came across a basketball reference a couple of days ago, and I watched a bit of Nets, and KD looks as good as you'd ever expect him to look. Like, he's not just in his prime in terms of, um, you know, maybe he's lost a a touch of a step, but I consider that, mentally and his um the game is slowed down for him he's so experienced he's so comfortable in himself in terms of like I, I i love the dude he's just i love his podcasts um i love how he chats the fans on twitter he's just a fucking great dude and i feel that his basketball is just at a level where um he's just yeah he's doing things that probably only very few offensive players have ever done, and we're talking about a top 20 player at the moment in his prime in the market. So anyway, I looked up his stats prior to tonight. I saw that he was shooting a ridiculous 70% on the toughest the toughest shot in the game, which is the long mid, um, and then that came back to 61% from mid-range. Um, 
a crazy 58% from the field, 40% from three, and then um, slightly down on, from the, on the line, but that doesn't matter. We know how good he is. How good is KD at the moment for this team? And if he's at this level and fit, um, are they again a title contender? And in my eyes, they're they're the number two. But talk about how important KD is to this team contending. As soon as KD was clear to come back last year, and I reiterate this, and it's for every good team, you will go as far as your best player takes you. It's as simple as that. And it's interesting you point out, mate, that the the mental side of things, he's pointed out to that, you know, when he was asked post the Toronto game, I said this on the buzz too, he was talked about, you know, where are you now? Like, you know, how do you feel as a version of yourself? He's like, I don't know where I stand compared to previous versions of myself, but I know I'm in a good space mentally. And that, uh, hearing that and the way that, you know, he's interacting and the sem- semblance of contentment that he seems to have, I think he said that to Draymond on that Bleacher Report pod as well. You know, he, he doesn't try to get too high or too low. He just seems really chill, really mellow. And the way that he's playing basketball is reflecting that because there are stats and stats for days that are just like, really? Like he had his most efficient 30-point scoring performance against the Orlando Magic where he missed one shot. 12 of 13 from the field where he's like 92, 93%. I'm just like, this guy's 33 years old coming off an Achilles injury. Like, how is that physically possible? How is a person defying medical science the way that he is? And Kevin Durant's obviously a special creature. Um, so I still think that the Nets will go as far as not just KD, but it has to be James Harden as well, and hopefully Kyrie Irving. If all those three guys are fit and firing, you look to the Boston Celtics series last year. They had the best offensive rating ever. They had like a net rating of like 25. It was otherworldly dominance. How, can, how good that can they be when it's just Kevin Durant, you know, at 110% and James Harden are probably, you know, in the 80, 75%? You know, they're going to be, that downgrades them to, you know, alongside the Bucks, you know, a, a Jazz or a Lakers or whoever else. Whereas if they are totally, and if James Harden, you can discount Kyrie Irving. If you have James Harden at his best and Kevin Durant at his best, then I think that they're prime A number one contenders. But as good as Durant is, the league is saturated with talent and there's a, a level of parity right now that you know I can't necessarily remember, especially with the Lakers sort of struggling a little bit with LeBron out and such. But Kevin Durant is probably the best player in the game. You know, him, Giannis, Steph, you know, one, two, three, throw in Jokic if you want as well. Uh, but I obviously have an inherent bias for a guy that's seven foot one and shooting jumpers at the, the percentages that you're talking about and still being very good defensively, might I add. You know, that's the one thing that I don't think he gets a heap of credit for. Strong post defender, incredible weak side uh, help, gets a little bit over eager and a little bit sloppy with the rotation sometimes. But he is, I, I, he put out the tweets funnily enough, you know, I think it was last year when he was watching, you know, Damian Lillard go off in a playoff game and he was like, this is a spiritual experience in a very God mode. And I'm just like, yeah, I only save these tweets because I know Kevin Durant's going to go God mode. And he has literally been, you know, people are looking for like superlative to describe it. And I'm like, God mode and spiritual experience are pretty good ways of describing him right now to use his own words. Yeah, I love that. And and that's, those are the sort of things that it, when he tweet, I'm like, he just knows, when you see him tweet, he just knows he's seeing other guys doing things on the level that he's at. And um, I think we got to continue to give guys like this credit because once they're gone, they're gone. You know, once Larry Bird retired, it was like, you know, there hadn't been 
50, 40, 90 scorers like him who are, you know, 6, 9, 6, 10. And, and obviously we've got Kevin Durant here again, but they very rarely come around. So as you say, give them their flowers, talk about his defense. Um, yeah, it's just, it's exceptional the way that he plays and it's so exciting to have him in the league at the moment. As we work through the other dudes on the roster, um, Joe Harris, he's sort of become, I feel like, obviously he's not a, a, a star, but but he's a dude who just year in, year out is, he's got to be in, in terms of role role players. Now Joe J, JJ Riddick has retired. He's got to be in the top five, if not top three, um, in terms of best volume three-point shooters. You know, JJ Riddick did, did that for quite a while. Um Joe Harris is obviously a little bit bigger. Um, may never go down with this, you know, the same name in terms of um, where he was at. But Joe's just been doing it now for a while. He got paid, which is so awesome for a you know, dude that started off on minimums in his career. How's he adjusted um, in the last year or two in terms of having a slightly smaller role with the stars? Um, and how's he started this year? He started the season off a little bit shakily, and I think a lot of people had the Buck series in their mind, a lot of really poor open shots that he missed, and to the level where it's just like, Joe, we're paying you $19 million to hit some pretty easy shots, my guy, and you've done this for the past three or four years. Like, why aren't you hitting them? Um, and I think that, you know, he spoke about that in some pretty interesting pieces with different uh, Netspeed media, but since I think it was like the first five or six games, he was around like a 34-ish percent range, but ever since then, you know, he's been you know, lights out. Back to the, the Joey Buckets we know and love. And I think a lot of that is tied in with James Harden too. I think that both of those guys feed off each other. And, you know, Joe loves those open looks. He's as good as anyone at hitting them. A lot of the time, KD and James are like, dude, take extra shots. Take the semi-contested ones. You are one of the best three-point shooters in the league and statistically one of the best that is, has been in the past three years. You know, you're not Steph and Clay, but you're, you're getting into Kyle Corver, JJ Redick territory. And I think that recently we're starting to see Joe do what he does best in terms of not overextending himself and in, in, you know, going crazy off drives. He can, he's hitting his mid-range elbow jumpers here and there. His straight line drives are solid. He's being more disciplined defensively. He's using his physicality and his strength to a really positive extent. And the three ball is, is dropping as well as it's ever been. He's got back up to, I think, around the 40, 41% sort of range. And that's only going to go up, uh, at least in my eyes. He just looks really, really solid, really, really confident right now. So um, I, I, Joe's getting back to his best. Um, and I think that a lot of that is tied into what James Harden is doing too. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really good. Good to see him, him you know, being utilized so well around those great passes. We're going to talk on um, your countryman, Patty Mills, now. Um, I think for myself, um, just as a fan of the, of the NBA, when the Spurs decided, you know, we're going to go a little bit younger, I was a little disappointed that, that you know, Patty wasn't, uh, I know that he obviously, you know, he wasn't burning bridges and that's not the type of guy he, he is. Um, a little disappointed to see him leave the Spurs after such an amazing career there, but really excited to see him come in and, and play a role on, on the Nets. And with Kyrie obviously not there, you know, we'll talk on him in a bit. Um, Patty was able to to do a little bit more of that secondary playmaking, which he probably wasn't able to do as much on the Spurs as they moved into that young core. Um, but now he's sort of been unlocked a bit more because the Spurs 
they sort of use you know get the best shot be that a three-point shot or, or a mid-range shot whereas Paddy now is you're seeing like those first few games he's hitting transition threes we obviously know that he can always hit those he's killing been killing people in Olympic ball for years um, but how has his game changed on the nets compared to what he did on the Spurs um, and with Kyrie out what can we expect to see um, yeah for him in the immediate future I think a lot more is being asked of him and in some respects, he's being asked too much because in some of the lineups that he's being utilized in those all bench lineups where it's, you know, Javon Carter as the, another ball, you know, handler, and there's been less staggering of those lineups, and Paddy Mills is the primary playmaker. And other than Olympic basketball, boomer basketball, where, you know, he thrives, he hasn't had that experience at the NBA level, you know, at a, to a great extent actually doing that. And he's had some inconsistencies there. I'm going to try and remain objective on, 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 a, on a guest, <laughs> I get to guest on a podcast, but. He's had his ups and his downs. He started the season like a house on fire. You know, he hit his first 10 threes. I think he hit, like, it might have even hit his first 11 threes through the first couple of games. Now, his three ball has, you know, waned and, and been somewhat inconsistent. But Paddy has always said it's not, if he shot isn't falling, he can still do things to impact the game, where it's, you know, get a steal and get a transition bucket, you know, just be an absolute pest, pest when it comes to defensively and just move his feet and, and be an absolute hound there. You know, find Lamarcus Aldridge in open spots in the mid-range. Their chemistry, you know, probably better than even I do. You know, I'm seeing that firsthand now. You know, in their mid mid to late thirties, and and they're really showing something special. And you can see that he just he, he's an energy guy, and the the culture and leadership that he brings. You know, they've him and and, and Blake Griffin and Joe Harris are, are in this fan club. The the sort of you know, the, the PB and J boys, they're sort of the, the build. I can't remember what it's called. I'm going to get absolutely flamed on Twitter from, from <laughs> That's right, man. talking about this. Um, <laughs> they're, they're just the role gritty guys that are just doing the little things for the team. And um, I'm just, it's a, it's really special to see, you know, an idol of mine on and off the court to be able to play for my team. Now, I've always, you know, when we started watching basketball, we, we looked to our own, our own and just go, man, Paddy Mills, look what he's doing for yeah. San Antonio, for Portland. And now he's yeah. here for my own team after winning a, a bronze medal, um, him and KD linking up. And it's funny just to go back to, you know, you know, why he, I guess, what led him to Brooklyn. You know, it was between Lakers, it was between Golden State, and it was between Brooklyn. And apparently Greg Popovich at, in Tokyo was having conversations with Paddy about, you know, you do you, mate. Like, we want you to thrive, and we understand that the direction we're taking now probably doesn't fit you in it. Um, but a part of me just thinks he's just, I don't think Pop probably wanted him in the same conference going up against him every night. I certainly don't think he wanted him to go to the Lakers. I know that the disdain that he holds for the Lakers organization, but the fact that he ended up on my nets, um, I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful because I just love what he brings night in, night out. Even if his shooting isn't going to be you know, lights out 10 from 10, you know, night after night after night, he's going to give you little bits and pieces that when you watch, it's just like, man, this is what you want out of a role player. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I think the regard that, that Paddy Mills has held in, in this type of the, oh, sorry, in this part of the world, um, we're starting to see now he's in a market which is bigger and media-wise media is that he's getting credit for being such a great guy you know the stuff that he does you know for the aborigine people and um the things he's done for the game here he's just such a great 
um, ambassador for the sport. And, and I'm glad that he gets more credit. You know, he's the type of dude who'd never go and seek out and be like, you know, I'm not going somewhere for the media market. But no doubt when you see a guy that's deserving of getting, you know, being in a bigger market so he can utilize that to help, um, you know, Australians or grow basketball, then hey, it's, it's amazing to hear. And I'm really excited to see the, the success that he's had this year. And, and that's only good for Australia and New Zealand basketball. As we um, work our way down the list, it's a, the, the role players are an interesting mishmash of, um, you know, Grizzly veterans and second chance dudes at the end, like Lamarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. Um, James Johnson is there. Paul Millsap. Of those four we just mentioned, when you're talking about fours and fives, who's been getting the most burn, and and um, who do you feel like is sort of locked in a spot in the rotation for later on in the season? Well, you were mentioning stats about Kevin Durant in terms of mid-range jumpers and such. Lamarcus Aldridge might be the only player in the league who's exceeding those because yep. it is incredible. He has been lights out, absolute money, and carrying the second unit by himself. You know, it's Lamarcus Aldridge and Patty Mills because you're not going to get a hit up out of DeAndre Bembry. You know, he generates a lot of his offense off cutting, um, and it's not necessarily self-generated. Javon Carter tries to to do it a lot, but I think it's it's beyond him a little bit at least as a Brooklyn Nets so far. He has been incredible. In the six-man-of-the-year conversation, I legitimately think that. And, you know, one thing that I'm, I'm really uh, happy about seeing, too, at the same time is the three-ball starting to drop. He's taken a, a lot of those. And, you know, he is he's playing with a, a level of confidence and comfort. And I, I know that I, I chat about this on, on the pod quite a bit, but him and KD, you know, the sort of connection that they seem to have, there's these sort of just low-key dudes, you know, the Texas Longhorn connection, they just love to hoop and there's a purity to, to what they do where it's just like they're able to just express themselves on the court and are given no limitations. And, you know, obviously, you know, the mid-range analytics, whatever, whatever, I'm not against that by any stretch of the imagination. But when you have LaMarcus Aldridge and you get an open mid-ranger, that is as good as getting it. Well, it's probably not as good as getting an open Stephen Curry three-pointer because the two three is bigger than two. But he has been absolutely incredible and, the story, I think, behind it is something that I just I don't want to lose sight of. The guy was forced to retire because of you know a heart condition, um, and I think it was an arrhythmic heartbeat. Um, and it was I was just like, damn, like really. And he, I remember in the retirement post that he did put out, he did mention the Brooklyn Nets and um, the time that he had with them. And Sean Mark said upon resigning him again, he's like, you know, you don't need to do it do any of this. We we should proven yourself to be one of uh, a Hall of Fame caliber player. And he's like, you know what? I got unfinished business, and now he's able to produce at this level and go out on his own terms. Uh, hopefully, uh, knock on wood. Um, it's been a tremendous story, you know, beyond basketball, and I'm absolutely loving it because he's probably been our third best player. I mean, in all respects. Yeah, yeah, it's so good to see, and and I think a guy being out to being able to go out on his own terms is is always really important. You know, you see the the Chris Bosch story and, you know, you saw his, uh, the people that would have seen his Hall of Fame speech. It's like, these guys do this, you know, at that level when you're training, like you want to be the best in the world when you have that mindset from 12 or 13. And to have that taken away when you were like, man, I still had, I still have one or two years left. You know, they might not have been prime level, but I still have one or two years left and I wanted to go out on the way that I wanted to go out. So to see him come back, do that. I mean, he's such a, um, 
his game is so distinctive in terms of one of those guys who've been around for so long. Obviously, amazing mid-range jumper, post-game. He's strong, can block shots. Um, just such a fun player to watch and a real throwback to those um, you know, 2005, 2010s type type players. So, yeah, that's, that's really, really exciting. I've always been a big Blake Griffin guy, and I loved last year when he just was having these big games. He's getting into it with dudes. You know, he's dunking. He can shoot it. I'm always obviously an amazing passer. Um, it feels like Blake has sort of settled into his role, you know, up there on on the nets. And, and he's a dude who I love listening to podcasts with him as well. Um, and he's just so hilarious in terms of, you know, like he's taking the piss out of Detroit or he's, you know, talking about the, his comedy shows and that sort of stuff. He's just a great dude. How's he been um, in, in the city, in, uh, in Brooklyn, and, and how's it been going this year so far? It's been a drop-off from probably expectations and standards that he set last year because the three ball was dropping at a rate probably at a career level. So, you know, don't have it off the top of my head, but, you know, he was 36, 37, something around that sort of range. Um, he's playing defense, probably maybe the best defense we saw in the postseason on the, you know, the finals MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo. The physicality that he brought, you know, he's always going to take charges. Now he's diving across the floor for loose balls. Um, I think that one thing that just needs to happen for him is the offense just needs to somehow click a little bit because the inconsistency in that three ball isn't just that it's not going in, it's in the mechanics as well. You know, watching him, there's a, a semblance of difference where it's like, is he either shooting on the way up? Is he shooting on the way down? Is it a little bit of a hitch? Is he quicker? Is he slower in the way that he's taking it? Um, and, you know, he's got the confidence and he's had a couple of nights where he's been four or five and and, and here and there, he's, he's had his, his burst. But that's where... He can be, you know, from being like a solid serviceable role player to being, you know, a, a truly reliable rotation player that we had in the postseason. And the next starters struggle a little bit for offense because you've got Bruce Brown, you've got Blake Griffin. Both of those guys are taking three balls, but, you know, by nature, they're not Joe Harris. So it does, you know, clog the floor up a little bit and, and make the offense somewhat clunky, especially when James Harden's had, you know, some of his teething issues. So if Blake starts to see that three ball go down um, and you know make some some closeouts and, and and just do a few little more things here and there, um, it's going to benefit you know the Nets overall and his game overall because um, I, it's I think it's the standards that we hold so high for him um, and we saw to such a great extent. He might need a game off here and there, and when Claxton's coming back, it's going to be interesting to see because that big man rotation when all four were healthy was. The two big lineups I'm not the biggest fan of. And, you know, if it's Blake and Clax, it's just, I don't know. And if it's LaMarcus Aldridge and Paul Millsap, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. The Nets do work best when it's primarily LaMarcus, when it's primarily Blake, when it's primarily Paul Millsap, which hasn't happened a lot, which I want to see more of, primarily Clax. So it's interesting. They're super stacked there, but they're still not a great rebounding team either. They've been better, but they're not, you know, elite in that department. So, you know, Blake has his moments and, you know, he's, he's going to do the gritty little things. It's just that I want a little bit more from him because um, he can do more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, and there's, I, th- I think he is an important piece cons- when you consider his experience. You know, when you've been an MVP caliber guy, you know, he was, I think he was, he was top three in MVP voting one of those Clippers years, then you know he's got a bit more in the tank. So th- that's exciting for the team. 
In terms of the younger guys on this on, on the squad, you know, we've talked on Claxton a little bit. We can chat on him a little bit more. Um, the team obviously want to keep those younger guys rolling through to, to make sure that that this team um, as constructed. It, it's still keeping some young guys around to to ensure that the Nets still have a bit of that bright future. Um, have you seen anything from Dayron Sharp or, or, or Cam Thomas? I saw a little bit of buzz around Cam Thomas at the start of the season. Obviously, as I, as I look up their minute totals, they're very low. But are you excited about those guys? And when you think about Clax as well, do you think there's some long-term pieces there for the Nets? I'm, I got it all in on the source when it was with, you know, I was trying to think of, I thought of nicknames. I was like King Sharp and Killer Cam, uh, Clutch yeah. Cam. He had one of the best summer leagues. I think Damian Lillard and, and Donovan Mitchell are two of the only guys that had like better, more efficient, higher scoring summer leagues than he's had. And, you know, in a team stacked full of offensive stars, even without Kyrie Irving, Cam Thomas's skill set isn't as required, even though I want to see it a little bit more and a lot of Nets fans want to see it more. You know, he's, he put out an Instagram post the other day, a bit of back and forth with Kevin Durant, some cool photos with them. I always love seeing, you know, those guys connect and still go back and forth because he's in a situation where he's learning from his idol in James Harden. He's learning from one of the greatest scorers of all time. Long term, I think it's going to benefit him the most rather than sort of in a Houston, Detroit sort of situation where he can sort of just gun up 20 shots a night on 30% shooting. He's going to learn how to be better and make better decisions and be better defensively, be a bit more disciplined. Um, so I'm all in on, on Killer Cam, and I, I just can't wait for him to... You know, and in Long Island, I think his opening Long Island performance, he had like 35 points or something, and I don't think he played a good game, at least from watching some of it. It's just like, he gets to the line really well. Um, I, he does a lot of things where he's just... He's a three-level scorer. Um, he had one of the best highlights that I think the Nets have had this year with like a one-legged three, which I think you know, was just... I, I lost my shit over. We were getting yeah. listens on freaking Summer League recaps. I can't remember the last time I did a Summer League recap for the <laughs> Nets, but... Um, and Damon Sharp is... It's interesting because we got him in the, the package uh, with uh, Javon Carter uh, and, and offloading Landry Shammer to, to Phoenix. And I think just the acquisition of Daron Sharp with, with pick 29 is enough to sort of call that deal a success because he, the dude is a man. Like he is like 19, 20 years old, but he's got shoulders as big as any other center in the goddamn league and might be the most the best rebounder that we have on the roster as well. He is a force on the boards. Um, he's hit a three ball this year, which I, I lost my shit over a little bit. I've had a lot of fun with that. Um, he's a heap of fun too. Now, I, I, I really like the potential that he does have. It's going to be, can he use the reps in Long Island? Can he use, you know, learn a lot of the things behind the scenes, you know, with some of the coaches and implement them, you know, when he's getting a bit of garbage time, you know, him and, him and Cam Thomas had a pick and roll. And I think Nets Twitter lost their mind. I was certainly a part of that as well. So I'm, because Sean Marks used all five of his picks, you know, Marcus Zagorowski, we're not going to really probably see a lot of Raekwon Gray uh, as well. It's going to, And Kessler Edwards, who I'm higher on, but he's on that two-way, so it'll be nice to sort of see him. David Duke Jr. as well. There's a lot of young guys under the wings that a lot of Nets fans are really high on, but because this team is laden with so many goddamn vets and, you know, you give it to, you know, your Blake Griffins, you give it to your LaMarcus Aldridge's, all those sort of guys, but there's just a lot of talent under the wings that, it's a weird composition for a, a contending team. It's not normal to have that much young undercurrent of talent uh, to combine with, you know, the the high level veteran experience. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's really really good breakdown, and and I think it is sometimes tougher when you see guys that you're really excited about, but you know, in the contending near that they're not going to play. But it's great to see that, um, you know, maybe unlike um, Nets management of of yesteryear, um, that you know, there's a team here that they're continuing to focus on the young players as well. You talked about Bruce Brown. I think that Bruce Brown last year was used as a big, um, you know, in a way that you maybe you can see uh, like uh, Eric Bledsoe, for example, or maybe even Russell Westbrook when he was successful with James Harden. Um, we're going to play um, him in a smaller lineup when he can set screens and roll to the rim. He's really strong, obviously got really good touch. But we've seen the NBA teams when they go small, it's not just about having a your shooters at the four and five, but if you've got a guy that can screen, um, you know, and he can he can play fast enough in transition and, you know, play a little bit of defense, then Bruce Brown was that guy last year. It seems to be having similar success this year, but how has Steve Nash used this guy to be able to have such success? Um, and obviously it's great to see after coming from probably a dysfunctional Detroit Pistons team that this guy's found himself a place in the league. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I remember, I specifically remember doing a game recap against the Detroit Pistons. Bruce Brown playing at the point guard had like 25 points. And I'm like, who the heck is this guy beating the, you know, the Brooklyn Nets? And I think it was 2019, 20 or something like that. And now he's on the Brooklyn Nets and he's transformed himself into what he, what was coined on him. I can't remember if he coined it himself. Biggie Smalls, where he's basically created his own position. Now we're seeing like Gary Payton the second do the same thing in Golden State. Terrence Mann having a real high level of success. I think he's a bit of, bit of a shooter um, than Bruce Brown. But the, the chemistry that he has with, with James Hunt, James Hunt loves guys who can screen and roll. He needs guys who can screen and roll because he's an incredible pocket passer. I think his floater, which was absolute money last year, has been a, a touch off, in, at least in terms of the efficiency. I think some defenses are, are starting to realize that. And some of that is the spacing issues that we had, we talked to a little bit on too. When you've got Blake out there and Blake's not hitting the three ball, well, you can hone in on, on, on some of those brute floaters and, and contest them a little bit more. Uh, but he's, uh, as I sort of said a, a, a little bit earlier in the pod, that his physicality has gone to another level. And the way that he's guarded Trey Young, you know, in, in the game against Atlanta, you know, he's getting advantages that I think are going to, are allowing him to really show out in a positive way as a defensive presence. And, Early on in the season, Nets fans were clamoring to just get him some minutes. You know, Steve Nash is like, we're experimenting, we're experimenting. And Bruce did come out and say, you know, the, the coaching staff have, com- have communicated to me that, look, they're experimenting. You know, for me, I, I know where my role is. I'll, I'll, I'll slot in whenever it needs to be. And thank God it did happen because as soon as Bruce Brown played, you know, that's when the Nets started to thrive. The Nets started to find, you know, a, a bit more of a defensive identity. James Harden was able to utilize a guy who can actually find openings, you know, slip screens really well, run really well in transition, like you alluded to. Um, he's the efficiency needs to improve a little bit, but I think he, his defense has gone up another level because you know his shoulders are, are absolutely massive. They're Dwight Howard like, and that physicality is is an advantage for him and DeAndre Bremer and some of those guys. So I think his defense has probably become a little bit better than his offense. While his offense, I think, was probably. Uh, the big thing last year, you know, some of those screening roles. He makes really good decisions off the short roll as well. Some of that sort of point guard skills that he does have. Um, he's not at his 100% best. You know, he was, I think there was a point last year where I think 538 was saying that James Harden and Bruce Brown 
like the best one to pick <laughs> Joe in the league. And I'm just like, dude, how the hell has that even happened for a guy that's like six foot four and is shorter than James Harden? I'm pretty sure. I think James Harden's like six four, six five, and Bruce is like six three, six four. Um, but yeah, his offense will come. The flow is going to come. Taking a few more three balls, um, which I'm which I'm happy to see as well. But Bruce is just ever reliable and a big part of this team. And thankfully, Steve Nash is finally playing him regular minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's really really good to see. Last one to, t- to chat on uh, before we talk about the team a little bit more generally. Um, what are the teams still hoping that Kyrie will get vaccinated? This isn't, um, you know, I don't come on here and, and I know you're the same to, to, to shit on dudes for deciding that, you know, A, they, 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 they want to get vaccinated or they don't want to get vaccinated. And at the end of the day, um, people have make their own personal decisions but what what do you think will happen will Kyrie get vaccinated um so he can continue to play in the NBA look I've always been optimistic about it but um I might be sometimes too optimistic about it he was I think at a college game at Seton Hall the other night uh, the same night the Nets were playing against the Magic so hopefully seeing the team play the, the way they are seeing basketball gives him that itch and, and makes him want to get back because a part of me is just like man Imagine this team with Kyrie Irving. Like they would be literally unbeatable. The version that they were in that Celtics series that we had a bit of a chat about. And I'm I predicted in in a preseason preview when all of that dropped and all the news surrounding him dropped that I'm like Christmas time because you know Kyrie loves the big games. I might be a little less optimistic of Christmas now, but hopefully it's before the All Star break. I think a lot of people who are a bit more switched on with the team are, are, are relatively optimistic of his chances of returning January, February, or whatever. The sooner the better. But I think that I there's a part of me as well that wouldn't be surprised if he just doesn't play. Because Kyrie is a guy that is pretty strict and st- stubborn in a way when it comes to his beliefs. He's just like, you know what, I'm not, you know, I'm pretty steadfast. I'm, I mean what I say and I'm gonna stick to it. You know, he's a guy that moves to the beat of his own drum. And a lot of that is has defined his character and is a reason why he's been such a, a wonderful philanthropist off the court in terms of what he's done for the WNBA and during COVID relief efforts, um, as well as you know the, the identity um, for his Native American tribes and, and, and all the stuff that with his family and such. So it's predicting anything related to Kyrie, my guy, is, is pretty goddamn tricky. Um, yeah. But the level of, I think just from an aesthetic standpoint, you know, I've watched. I've been lucky enough to go to America a few times and and watch the Nets play and some other teams play. But watching Kyrie Irving play basketball, you know, we, we said it about Kevin Durant. It literally is. It's it's like watching art. The way that he and I think that what's probably even more frustrating is that he would probably benefit a lot from the way the game is being officiated right now because he doesn't draw a lot of fouls and he's just he's able to just manipulate defenses on a whim by just his pure skill and talent alone. So if he does come back, then I see him being able to slot right in pretty goddamn seamlessly. Um, it's just that the, i got fingers, toes, and all body parts crossed that it does happen because it can take the Nets from being, you know, in that realm of being solid contender to being you, you, it, unbackable in, in a lot of ways because we've seen what they can be. We've got like, what, 10, 15 games, dude, if you include the playoffs last year, what they can look like. The only, I've said this before. The only thing that's going to beat the Nets is themselves, and Kyrie Irving not playing is that you know his decision and such. But hopefully, it's a decision sooner rather than later that can benefit the team, or there's a bit of clarity towards it where it's just like, okay, guys, I'm going to decide to sit out the season. You know, Kevin Durant sort of saying he's given little inklings here and there. He hopes to see him back. 
and you know them being quite tight. Hopefully, that's a, a positive thing. It's ultimately going to be up to to the man himself, and hopefully, seeing some hoops, whether it's at college or NBA, gives him that itch because. I think that the NBA fans in general are being deprived of one of the most skillful players we've ever seen, one of the most gifted players we've ever seen. So hopefully he gets the straight stuff uh, pretty goddamn soon. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, man. We just, we, we've got to appreciate these guys, you know, while we have them, as we say. And um, yeah, having Kyrie back on the NBA court would be great because even if you don't, you know, agree with, uh, even if you agree or disagree with his political views, um, you know he's done he's done some amazing things for on and off the court. You know he's an NBA champion, one of the greatest dribblers ever, fifty forty ninety guy, and yeah, he's an amazing and and a really interesting dude. As we move on to just touching on the team before we close this pot out, um, so eight and four so far. Um, when you look at the way the team is constructed, if Kyrie wasn't to come back, do do you think this team, when you look at the strength of the Eastern Conference, you know, the Eastern Conference is probably better than it's been, uh, the last couple of years, it's been better than it had been for quite a while. Where do you think this Nets team finishes in terms of a record? Um, and then where do you think they wash up at the Western Conference at the end of the regular season? I said in my preseason prediction, I'm pretty sure I said 56 or 57 games, 57 and 25, something like that, 56 and 26. I'm a little less optimistic of that. Thank you so much, uh, Jack, for coming on. Uh, such a great episode talking about the Brooklyn Nets. I uh, really appreciate the part you play in the Nets community and yeah, coming on here and um, chatting the Nets today. So thank you very much. Have a good night, a great night. And everyone, can you please rate and review when you listen on Apple Podcasts? Much appreciated, and we'll talk again soon.